I'll do the music since this is like a live, you know, thing. We can, I'll just do it. Well, dun, 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 dun. Hello, everybody. This is Joshua Hatton with One Nation Under Whiskey Podcast. I'm joined today, and I'm joined as always by the ever-wonderful Jason Johnston Yellen. But this time around, we are joined by everybody's favorite 30-year-old. Happy birthday, happy birthday. birthday. Elijah, I got a question for you. Go ahead. First off, happy birthday. Thank you. (laughs) What does it feel like to know in 10 years you'll be 40? Off to you. Just another step closer to death, and there's something... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Something comforting about that. Yeah. Well, maybe not for you. Anyway, um, so I'm joined here, as always, by my, my good friend, my business partner, Jason Johnston Yellen. And we have in the car, birthday boy, Elijah Ammon, the one and only, our dear Jess Lomas. Hi, Jess. Hi, Joshua. Hi, and Jess. Then, and then to the to my left, which we may or may not hear, uh, from too much, but we'll see. We have uh, the one and only Sweet Scott. Hey, Sweet Scott. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Jason. Yes, Joshua. Stop looking at your phone. I'm looking at the questions. All right. Uh, unplug and be present. <laughs> this yeah, he's is, always on his phone. You know me. You know media. me. You know this me. This is the final episode of season six. This is amazing. What an achievement. I'm so proud of us. Does it feel like it's been six full months? Six full months? The years? <laughs> six this Man. question feels like it's six full years. <laughs> like, seriously, does it feel like it's been six full years of what, what is time, right? It could be 60 years, it could be six years, it could be six months, as you yeah. rightly said a moment ago. Yeah. It's just been wonderful. Absolutely fantastic. I'm so impressed with the number of questions we've got for today. Uh-huh. As I'm so I. excited that we're driving in the car with the birthday boy. If we live to tell this tale, it will be a great tale. To tell? To tell. <laughs> so, are we are we gonna just hop right in? Let's the, do it. First really? question. Jess, do you do you cool with that? Just do hopping it. right in. Do it. You, do you need some transition music? I could. Yeah. Do you have some transition? Give me some transition music. Just don't transition us into Canada. Actually, don't. I've no. changed my mind. Okay. I don't hear any of that. Okay, we're gonna start off with James Foster. He's like the OG. We just saw him this one, weekend. Yeah, we saw him this weekend. He's like the OG One Nation Under Whiskey fan. And his email, mm-hmm. uh, subject says, mailbag, Talisker fades, what the fuck? Uh, actually, WTF. So he says, so, we had a Talisker tasting in our little tasting society. Parenthetical comment, not a drinking club. Correct. They were okay, but none had that pepper bite I loved in Talisker last millennia. So I opened some old, unopened bottles I had lying around and foie, foie, foie. Yep, no comparison. Lovely pepper. What did they change? Why have other distilleries done the same? It's a serious question. It is a serious question. I mean... Do do either of you or any of you, I, I mean... Know of any changes to Talisker? 
not off the top of my head, but are we being held to the post here on behalf of Diageo? I think Talisker is a great product. <laughs> I like just clearly still on brand. Are you signing a waiver while you're driving? <laughs> yes. With his other hand. He's, now he's doing it a third time. It's in triplicate. <laughs> but, but I don't, this isn't just a Diageo thing. No. Right? We, we've had this conversation for years about Laphroaig. Laphroaig yeah. has gone from the love yeah. it or hate it dram in the 90s to something much more minerally, something much softer, mm. something, you know, a, a little more delicate, maybe not hugely delicate. Yeah. You know, I, I think we just have to be careful of falling into the trap of whiskey was better in the days when I was getting into whiskey, right? Mm. And so I think Foster putting contemporary bottles against unopened older bottles is a fair side-by-side -side comparison. But, you know, <laughs> Final, final thing, ahead, and I'll, I'll let you chime in, Joshua. But we know distilleries are running the stills harder and faster than they ever have before. And mm -hmm. some of the more um, careful distilling practices have kind of gone the way of the dodo, right? It's, it's run spirit through stills and get it in bottle and sell it globally. Yeah. I mean, there, there's no doubt about that. With demand comes the need to increase production, and sometimes that means speed things up. But do you do you feel that it's all back to production and not necessarily to blending or um, purposeful evolution of a, of a flavor profile? That's a good point. I was going to say. I, I wondered if it was more to do with when the product hits the the blending labs when they're putting together the expressions, whether or not it's actually that point rather than production. Mm. I, I would have thought maybe the production side, when you're saying they run the stills, you know, harder and more, maybe it's actually that they've got a more um, efficient distilling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm I'm sure the change in the, the flavors, I think that's more going to come from a blending lab. So do you think in that case that Talisker, as one example, has blended the pepper out of their offerings? Possibly. I, I've thought for a long time the reason Laphroaig, or one of the reasons Laphroaig has changed so dramatically, is because there's still um, a flexibility at the very end before it hits being put in glass bottles. There's still a bit where you can tinker a little bit with, you know, shapes of what a whiskey looks like. And maybe they're, you know, choosing to pick casks that have a less peppery flavor mm -hmm. mm. or it could also be the casks themselves i guess rather than the the stills maybe it's the wood that's available for distilleries these days is changing mm -hmm. see i always thought the pepper at least the the talisker example specifically i always thought that was uh, something to do with their peat but I don't know. I don't know enough about their production to say, you know, are they using a type of peat that no one else is using, and hence that's how Talisker gets that pepper. Like I, I, I don't know where that would come from. To even, yeah, yeah. Can you think of other examples, other distilleries? You know, we've, yes. we've said Talisker, we've said Lafroig, but more. I mean, think about conversations with Ollie. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the difference differences between 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s. They all have their own sort of personality to them. He loves early 2000s, but more for very specific reasons. 
Jess Lomas, also our in-house Bowmore expert. I'm happy to take that title. Uh, <laughs> well, the Bowmore, I know for a fact, having spoken to various people at the distillery and David Turner, that's a very specific choice. It's a, a positive action which has been taken from the very beginning to shape how the um, spirit is being run through the stills, you know, how they're casking it. Like that's to me there and that's not a, that's not you know industry secret they're very upfront about the shape and the direction of what they're wanting to produce and how they want Beaumont to look so I think maybe it's a combination of all the variables rather than it being like one single easy button and suddenly you've yeah, eradicated sure. the style yeah. you know, anyone else come to mind? Um, I've got two off the top of my head Oof. but I think James asked this question Obviously, it's a negative experience he had. But what Jess was touching on, what what I really liked, producers today are giving the current market, the 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 entry level consumer, a different product than mm. you had years ago. There so I go. remember when I was first getting into whiskey, and this was 2014, and someone told me oh Logville 16 I told everyone that's my favorite whiskey mm-hmm. that's not what it used to taste like yeah. and I've heard that the past nine years mm-hmm. yeah, people yeah, yeah. saying that oh that it's not as good as it used to be you know there's some brand new users that pick up a bottle um, mm-hmm. you know because they got a lot of branding and a lot of shelf placement and they think it's great another one uh, Glen Allocky. I mean, sorry, not Glen Alki, Glen Dronic. I was thinking the okay. locker. Oh, right. yeah. But, like, the, the, I remember that the 15 and 18 year um, were great, you know, 10 years ago. Well, that one gets complicated, right? Yeah, because... well. <laughs> but again, but I understand there's a whole story with yeah. that and what what that stock actually was that was being bottled. Yeah, the bottled. actual age of that stock. Exactly. Yeah. But. You have now you have a, a different generation, a different blender. Someone mm-hmm. like, you know, through the whole Glendronic line is 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 presenting something different, and you, they're not trying to reach James Foster anymore. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're reaching like the person who's like, oh, Glendronic Twelve. I can pull this off the shelf. I have no idea what natural color is or yeah. or chill filtration or yeah you know i don't know what that is i'm just it's a well, nice red packaged yeah. scotch it's it's kind of back to the kevin dunlop question or, or example from a few months back the listener talked about getting uh, a bottle of laphroaig select for his sister for his sister or his his sister's fiance and he thought it would be great because it's a laphroaig and so on and so forth and and Laphroaig Select, I think it's a perfectly fine whiskey, but it's a soft little puppy compared to what Laphroaig entry level used to be like. So I really like your your point. It's it's almost as if they're trying to bring in a different segment of the consumer through a different um, presentation of mm-hmm. of what that brand is, what that distillery should taste like. Which I think is why Talisker is a good example from Foster here. Yeah, I think we just solved it, guys. Awesome. World oh peace. Woof. <laughs> Look at us. Question one sorted. Woof. Done. All right. Okay. Foof. All right, here. Next. Next. 
Um, actually, speaking of uh, of Oliver Chilton, he had sent in a question as well. <laughs> is that timing a small related leaflet. question? <laughs> a pamphlet, if you will. So this is from our, our very good friend Ollie Chilton, and uh, says hello all. The other day I was hosting a tasting for a company retailer I worked for almost 20 years ago. The gentleman who had organized this had found that I was a previous employee of the company that he now found himself part of and a conversation developed. I was struck by how different our journeys in whiskey had been, not just because of geography, but also because of time. We obviously had one thing in common, but very different perspectives on the thing. As I checked into my bi-weekly doses of J&J, I got to think about your business and how you have four different perspectives in regards to time and on whiskey. Jason, being the, though forever youthful, weathered whiskey enthusiast. (laughs) Ouch. Weathered is about the best descriptor in that sentence. (laughs) Joshua's the man clinging on to his youthful exuberance by his fingernails for the next 11 months. This son of a bitch. This son. He's um, not wrong. <laughs> he's not wrong. Jess, due in no small part to her nationality of being from God's own country, Yorkshire, wise well beyond her tender years. And of course, Elijah with so much time left to become as bitter as the rest of us. <laughs> that, that's my number one fear in this industry, yeah, is I become bitter? a bitter old whiskey consumer or some... Come, come embrace join it. us. Yeah. Yeah. Just embrace yeah. it. Rule number five. <sighs> is this entire letter an excuse for a character assassination? <laughs> Except for so, my part, which I thanks all that was very kind. Nice, Jess. <laughs> I, I'm scanning the email. I don't see him shitting on Sweet Scott yet, but... Is there actually a question at the end of this? All right, so so he goes, so to the questions. (laughs) Plural. What, for each of you, was the thing that dragged you down the rabbit hole? And is this the same slash similar for each of you? How is the industry different today to when you first found it? Oh, man. (laughs) These these are deep questions. Must not get better. Must (laughs) not get better. Good job this podcast is eight hours long. And do you feel the different perspectives each of you bring has an effect to what you put into bottle now and will in the future? And uh, he says, feel free to indulge my questions offline over a dram if your mailbag episode is too full. Well, the good news is we're just filling the bag right now with his, this will be the final question, but... (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> and when we end this episode in two hours, we will have so, answered all three questions. So I feel as if Jason and I may have shared a rabbit hole stories, which which will reiterate, I think, at least a Reader's Digest version. Uh, but why don't we start with the youngest person? The birthday the boy. The birthday boy. Do you need the, the questions again? No, I don't need the question. I just don't want to sound like a bitter old man here. So. You're too young. You're too I young think to be a bitter old man. It's too late, Elijah. Okay, keep it light. Keep it light. Yeah, I feel like I've communicated this story a couple of times, but the, I got into this like each one of us out of a passion for whiskey, um, a passion for connecting to people, and. Um, I felt like I graduated from one whiskey to the next and 
when I got into the industry, I was definitely, definitely, um, bright eyed, bushy tail and ready to, you know, share whiskey with everyone. Um, and I feel like within maybe three months of being in the industry, it, I realized it was a lot of like emails, um, <laughs> a lot of like begging, please buy this product. And uh, speak from, from the sales side. Um, and a lot of like rejection. And eventually I feel like that, that beats you up and then you become very critical of the industry or whiskey. Uh, but I had this change, you know, now that I'm, I've become wise uh, <laughs> towards the end of my 29th year, I've decided I, I, I'm going to approach whiskey without my, my whiskey hat, thinker's hat all the time and try to connect back to what made it exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and th- there's, there's, there's moments I've had, I'm not saying it's all been like dreary the last few years that I've been doing this, but yeah, I, I that's my approach now, how, how it's changed. You know, there's, there's, you guys can touch on that better than I can. Cause I've been in this much but Surely you, time. you will have seen change from, you know, you, uh, how long have you been in the industry now? Is it, is it two, eight two, years? Seven 2017. Years? Okay. So, so six years then. Yeah. So, you know, were there any changes that that COVID presented or changes in, in people's buying habits? You know, do you find people, I don't, I don't want to lead the witness, but I'm curious, you know, just to hear it from your mouth, what changes you may have seen in those six years? Yeah, I think um, when I was first in it, everyone was hesitant to spend money on um, a $75 scotch whiskey in my, in at least in my circle, in my market that I was in. And then with COVID, you know, I saw it completely change, but it was great for me. My most successful years and most growth I had within the industry and just life lessons that I've learned mm. were during those, those COVID years. And I saw people, you know, <laughs> Their credit card was just sitting right on their desk next to their so laptop crazy. and just yeah. easy to just, yes, click and pay. And I had great events. Actually, some of the, the very first event I did, COVID-related, virtual tasting-wise, with, was with Ollie. Uh, oh, wow. And it was a black tot SMOS combo tasting. Huh, and there might have been a Portiskeg in there, too. So, okay, uh, yeah, that... There you go. But that was at that time of in-person event, virtual event, was the most bottles that were ever purchased by like a group for a tasting. People just depression buying. And then now this, I would say last six months of 2022, 2023, I see people like, I think there's a reason why, you know, you guys had this on Extra Extra a few weeks, months back, Um, the Whiskey Advocate top 20 right yeah, yeah you know they factor in that price point sure and the fact that jack daniels bonded one and you know it's controversial but we've talked about this this weekend there's a reason why and i think like that's con- that price point yeah that 
easy drinking product is connecting with consumers. Yep. Comfort so, drinking. Comfort drinking. Yeah. Uh. That's why I'm doing 2023 comfort drinking here. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Not, not right now, obviously. And no, also, no, 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 hashtag no, drink no, responsibly. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Jess? So, uh, I was just thinking about this. So, you said 2017 when you started Correct. whiskey? So, this year is my 15th year of whiskey, which is Mazel. my maths means I started when I was three. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about how things have changed. It's quite interesting. So I started, like Ollie, I worked in retail. The difference now between the conversations I have with people about whiskey, I definitely think the consumer is much more informed. You know, we didn't have people coming into the shop asking, what's the latest single cask from such and such a distillery? We had an entire racking shelf space dedicated to Springbank, which now would be empty. Oh, decimated, (laughs) Uh, yeah. We had all of the Highland Park, you know, the Earl Magnus, St. Magnus, Earl Huckon. We we had to reduce them. People weren't buying these things um, because I I guess it was just a different time, which now when I think about the things that were on the shelf, I'm like, ah, I should have bought everything. Shoved it in an auction. Yeah, I I think that's really interesting. Definitely, people are more interested. And lockdown for us, and I'm sure Sweet Scott would agree, really accelerated people's interest. If you already had a passing interest in whiskey, in lockdown, everybody was stuck in the house. So they're like, well, yeah, sure, we'll we'll do a tasting. You know, and tastings that I think traditionally maybe would have been a slightly harder sell Mm. because nobody had anywhere to go. They were like, well, you know, no loss. Let's, you know, I didn't have to leave the house. Let's try some whiskey that I wouldn't necessarily walk into a bar and order. Yeah. Um, Because we're not going anywhere tonight anyway. So, you know, and it means I don't have to talk to the children for a bit or (laughs) my flatmates or, you know, whatever you, you know. I think during lockdown, actually, not that, it's just because of who's posed this question, but I think the most successful tasting we did during lockdown with our whiskey club that we have run for eight, nine years um, was the Black Top tasting. And honestly, from a hardcore group of whiskey drinkers who I think if we'd said, we're going to do a rum tasting, and they'd be like, mm, you know, I think we would have had a, an okay attendance turn up. We had a great attendance come online and uh it went on all night. Literally, I had to put Mitch to bed at 5 a.m. I was like, I'm going. I'm ending this Zoom. <laughs> Goodbye. Uh, and our group are still talking about it. And I would never have pinned that. So I think it's being, you know, COVID's done a, a lot of strange things, but it's afforded people opportunities that I think maybe they wouldn't have been brave enough to take themselves. And yeah. I think that's that's a bigger sign of the way the industry is going. You know, like when we're talking about like Foster's question, I, you know, whiskey is changing flavor is it because maybe uh the whiskey companies are trying to cater towards people who you know you're you're just hoping like one or two whiskeys will get you hooked everybody i know who drinks whiskey it's they they can name the one whiskey or two whiskeys that really change the way they were looking it doesn't have to be the first whiskey you had it's the first one that made your brain go oh i really like this so for me we I've, I've talked about this before too. When I was a student in good old Aberdeen, repping team Aberdeen, <laughs> well, well. Uh, the, you know there was a, you know there was a pub that we just we just started at one end of the bar and worked our way through because it was cheap. There were no risks in taking a you know one pound eighty, two pound dram, and if you didn't like it, well we'll just get another one. 
because uh, we were very bougie students, obviously. <laughs> uh, and and so that was a that was our playground for learning about whiskey. And I think that doesn't exist now. And I feel a bit sad that if in 2023 I was starting, okay, so 2023 is the year I'm going to learn to drink whiskey. I think you'd have to work a lot harder to to drink whiskey the way I did. But part of that is you can go to more tastings. There are far more tastings yeah. than when yeah, I was true. starting yep. out. There yeah. are people who act much more actively, are open and say, hey, oh, you think you want to try whiskey? Cool. We've got like eight. Come try these. And that wasn't afforded to me when I decided with my two best friends at uni that we were going to get into whiskey. We were going to yeah. be the whiskey guys because yep. uh, it was really cool. Nah, we never thought it was cool, but we really liked, we liked the taste. I've always loved the history. I'm fascinated by the industry. It's full of great people and lots of stories, some of which we can't put on podcasts. You know, I, to me, it's like a whole encompassing package. And sometimes I kind of forget the point of whiskey is the drinking because I get so caught up with the like, who can we talk to? Where can we go visit things? You know, what does this look like? Yesterday, I got caught looking at the shipping boxes in a distillery. You know, that kind of thing. Um, you got really jazzed up by those boxes, Jess. I just love a good box. Uh, you know, so it's, it's so much more for me. And my turning point when I realized that I wasn't going to be a super successful hotshot lawyer and that actually whiskey was much more interesting and fulfilling to my mind um, mm. as a, a lifestyle... A lifestyle choice? Do we call it a lifestyle choice? Uh, that, that's really why... You know, this is not what I was supposed to be doing, but I'm not sad about it. This, this is, I love this far more than I think what I actually was meant to do. So, yeah, I, I think in terms of like recruiting people into the cult of whiskey, I, I think we're much more open. You can be very lucky and meet incredibly generous people who have phenomenal collections, who are very happy to pour whatever. They'll open bottles, they'll, but now you don't necessarily need to know that guy or woman who has an amazing collection. There's loads of like, on. Uh, it's really easy like to join that. an online tasting. Yeah. It's really easy to seek out something on Facebook you know, and see what people are talking about. I love that because I've thought for a long time, the drinks industry, not just whiskey, but can be a bit kind of, oh yeah, you have to know if you know, you know. Yeah. And there's definitely yeah. still a lot of that. And I'm definitely guilty of playing the, if you know, you know. So if I was starting out again now, you know, there's, there's I would say, multiple ways for you to get into whiskey that wasn't available to me 15 years ago and so I'm excited to see what it looks like in another 15 years another so, 15 years how old will we all be so with that in mind Jess 45. given what Ollie's asking at the end of that question <laughs> how does everything you've just said affect what you're looking at putting into bottle and, and selling into global markets I mean, obviously, I'm constantly having to reject a plethora of 1960s Beaumors and uh, <laughs> 50s Mortlucks. I just cannot move for them. If anybody wants them, come take them off my desk. Brora, I pour it down the sink. Yeah, I'd, that's, I guess, maybe as a kind of peep behind the curtains, those two things are not necessarily connected in the way they should be. Mm -hmm. We are tied to what casks are available to companies like ours. But what we can do is then with the resources that we get, with the casks that are available on the you know lists and that we purchase, it's then how we present them. So single cast nation choose to try and present whiskies in what I would think as kind of like the, uh, I'm going to say purist, I don't like that, but you know, like the, we're going for single cast. So we're working within the parameters of knowing that we're not creating a consistent talisker that's 
going to be the same today in 15 years, in 20 years. Yeah. It's a, a moment in time. We've picked a cask, which once it's done, it's done. And sometimes that's really sad and I wish I'd bought all of the bottles. <laughs> and sometimes you're like, okay, well, that was cool. Chalk it off, you know, your list and move on. What's the next cask? To me as a whiskey drinker, I'm much more of that mindset of like, I've had some really cool stuff, but I'm always looking to see what's coming rather than like having a consistent thing in my shelf. But I am very aware that I'm operating in a niche of a niche. Like it's also kind of cool sometimes to walk in a store far, far away from your homeland and see a very consistent product on the shelf, insert brand here. You know, like that's yeah. that's not me though. I'm not necessarily the consumer that these big companies are looking for. I'm probably not going to be in the supermarket saying, oh, that's got 15 pounds off this week or, you know, I'm more likely to be in a specialist retailer mm -hmm. being like, what's the latest release from somebody? Because yep. I think whiskey is all encompassing. You can be both of those people and none. You can be totally different again. You don't have to be a single cask chaser. Can I trademark that? Single, single <laughs> cask chaser. Um, but you can totally appreciate, you know, uh, like Jason's always, you know, uh, flying the flag for Compass Box Glasgow. You know, that, that kind of at the end of the day when, like Elijah's saying, if you just want to be a nice drink exactly. at the end of the day, you don't necessarily need to have a, a whiskey that's going to make you work really hard. Mm. You just want something in a glass and you're just going to enjoy it. And yeah, that's why my house is full of whiskey. Because I have, you know, when you're like, pick, pick a mood, I'm like, um, like a little Rolodex of bottles. That's obviously <laughs> so that I know, what, you know, the perfect whiskey experience. I have to have a lot of whiskey in the house, right? That's it. Yeah. Is that enough of a rambly answer, yeah, Ollie? Yeah. I hope so. Yeah. I just like the idea of you having a Rolodex that it's it's 14 centigrade and rainy with some cloud cover. That means I drink, insert whiskey here. I nearly said Arbeg Wee Beastie and I knew that wasn't correct for you. So. Could could be for that set of parameters. Maybe I, <laughs> what I need is somebody to develop me an app where you answer a series of questions. Oh, paging Richard, and, paging uh, the, Richard. Yeah, hey Richard, who doesn't listen to this podcast, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, and at the end, it says, you should be drinking, blah, right. blah. Mm. I remember that did exist 10 years ago. Did that it? was a thing. Was it? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. I also used the reference Rolodex, which I feel like that's a that's a dated <laughs> reference. Isn't that a Tepper watch? Yeah, I've, I faxed myself that reference. Excellent. Um, to to answer this real, real quickly from my end of things, it was, again, shout out to Aberdeen. It was being at the University of Aberdeen, exploring Laphroaig 10-year-old, um, finding out, discovering that you could have the flavors of a Finnish sauna in your glass without ever being in Finland, without Delicious. leaving Aberdeen, without leaving Elphinstone Hall. Like that was, that was really, that really rocked my world. And to explore those lines of flavors across multiple offerings from multiple distilleries, was, was really remarkable, right? G growing up in a family where it was bottom shelf, cheapest chips blends, and it was really just, you drank to get tipsy with family, to now saying, okay, this is flavors and flavor driven. And to Ollie's question and without wanting to get maudlin, uh, which is always a fear of mine, is I don't think with current offerings, we're as able to go down flavor journeys as we are okay what's available what's the price what story is that telling but i feel as if some of those changes 
Ch-ch-ch-ch-changes done and by the cast. No, it's too expensive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look at that fucking Mortlach. Um, so, yes. And, and this is what I was going to say before is I, I didn't really want to touch on my, my rabbit hole moment because I feel as if it's a yeah, story that... If you don't touching stop touching your rabbit hole him. in this car, <laughs> we are going to have a falling out. Hold on, the rabbit's almost there. Um, but the, there have been significant changes and I think the past probably four to five years uh, with this, you know, these cask investment schemes have forced us to make changes to how not just we purchase and bottle whiskey, but how bottlers in general, because the access to the types of casks that we would have been able to bottle five plus years ago, it's just that stuff doesn't really exist. Yep from a good pricing standpoint. So it's forced us in a way to lean a bit heavier on something that we had been doing all along, but maybe not leaned on so heavily. And that's your world whiskeys mm-hmm. and- Diversifying. Uh, right, just diversifying and, and American single Just a good investment mall. strategy. <laughs> Much better than cask investment, Jason. <laughs> Fuck me. Um, right, so, so to your point where you feel where you talked about not being able to really drive by flavor, I, I kind of, I disagree with you. I think we're, we're switching the flavor paths that we're able to present to people. Well, and, and I think that's reflected in our champion of American single malt, right? We yeah. are back with distilleries. We are back on the ground floor. We are back saying, well, gosh, we're in a car right now, heading to Skagit Valley Maltings to hang out with, with Matt Hoffman from Westland, right? And well, Anna Hines. Right, and Anna Hines. And we're we're on the ground floor here, right? This, yeah. this is exciting. And, you know, I, I don't want us to be the people who say scotch used to be like this in the 80s and then it was like this in the 90s and now it's not where it was scotch is still phenomenal right there's still wonderful things oh, yeah. we can do with scotch and we will do with scotch yep but it's not to the detriment of these other markets these other locales that we're exploring yeah. so yeah. you know I, I feel like the four of us are are saying something similar which is how do we remain excited in changing times and how do we keep consumers excited in changing times and it just doesn't look like it did for me in 1996 but right but it's (laughs) but i feel as if us keeping consumers engaged and excited about the new flavors being presented is back to the drawing board where you know 12 years ago you and i felt as if we were educating and expanding the market we were trying to sell into exactly. and then people got independent bottlers i mean it had been around in the u.s for for quite a long time but <laughs> the pool of people who got it was quite smaller when we first started it's that niche of a niche right? of a niche that jess is talking about that that's it, definitely changed because when i was working in retail i wrote um like a staff manual training on whiskey for the staff who i worked with none of whom were uh, educated on whiskey, had any yeah. interest in whiskey, but we had a lot of it and we needed to sell it. Um, and independent bottlers was a one page thing that I wrote explaining uh, independent bottlers are companies who don't own distilleries, but source casks and bottle them themselves. And then I had a handful of examples and that was it. Turn the page and move on. Like that wasn't a, <laughs> wasn't a discussion because our mm. shelves were loaded with now 
uh, when I think about it, I weep a bit, but was loaded with distillery bottlings. Indie bottlers wasn't really a consideration we were making yeah. in those years. And that, I was in a specialist shop. I wasn't in like a general drink store. I was in you know, like a, a high-end shop and we were selling we were selling single cast bottlings. So we were selling stuff that wasn't necessarily the run of the mill whiskey. You know, it's the step up from the entry level of uh, most distillery offerings. But it just wasn't a thing. And I, yeah. I think that's kind of interesting now that if you go to uh, a similar setup, a specialist uh, drink shop, you know, the, they have hundreds of independent bottlers because yeah. people, the demand <laughs> for it is there. So people are like, oh, hey, we should, uh, we're two famous internet bloggers. We should start an independent <laughs> bottler. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like we're ready for the next question, yeah, Jess. I, 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 I saw on your phone there, we've got Seabass. And I, I know that he asked a, an interesting question that we can put to um, Jess and Elijah. Okay, so here we go. So this is Cues for the Mailbag by Christopher Sebastian, or Christopher Sebastian. Or Seabass. Hi, all. So I have a couple different ways to ask this question. I'll let you decide which is the best and which would serve the listening public. Oh, boy. I'm going to start off with question number two, and then I'm going to do question number one. Question number two, and this is for Jess and, uh, and Elijah. You're the CEO of Single Cast Nation for one day. That's why I love this question. <laughs> Wait, what? No. One day? For one day. You think I'm giving it back? <laughs> yeah. First rule, infinite CEO days. <laughs> what is your pie-in-the-sky cask that you would ask to bottle from a oh. distillery that you personally love, but your requests <laughs> fall on deaf ears to the powers that be? Elijah's champing at the bit here to get in. He's, he's got a list. Okay, you can go first. Hold on, there's a parenthetical. Yeah, there's a parenthetical. Oh, the parenthetical oh. says... This shouldn't be like a 49-year-old imperial cough, cough for 11 more months, Joshua. <laughs> He's an old man. He's an old man. But from a niche distillery that isn't guaranteed to sell well and would be a complete <laughs> abuse of company resources. Such a good question. Eliyahu? I can say whatever distillery I want. Absolutely. Yeah. This is, okay. You're the CEO, you're CEO of Single Cast Nation, Jason. Uh, uh, Elijah. It would be an American single malt, and it would be Delbach. Ah, wow. Hamilton do, Distillers. Do we have a why? Uh, because I love Delbach. <laughs> I love that company. Okay. Well, and and why? I love, why? Yeah, what about Delbach as you go on? What do you love about it? Many things. Uh, one, I feel like they have for a very small producer compared to some of the American single malt distilleries we got to visit uh, this weekend, they have something providential in the sense of where the whiskey is produced that separates them from a lot of the other American single malt distilleries. They oversee an aspect of the process that a lot of distillers don't get to as far as malting, doing their own malting on site. Um, And there's, it's, we're talking about comfort whiskeys. Uh, Box a comfort whiskey for me. Okay. It's something that I can sit with some of their releases, but then there's times I don't even have to think about it. I could just enjoy it and 
Oh, I like that. Do they have a, is it a floor molding? Is it more of a saladin box type thing? Is it a you know tumble dryer like your man down it's, in Tasmania? It's kind of like a tumble dryer kind of okay. thing. Okay. It's basically what it is. It's just a giant dryer. Yeah. Kind okay. of. But uh, yeah, it's it's an incredible process. I I, I don't know. It's it again it goes back to that comfort thing. It's a relational thing. We've been. You guys can all attest to this. No one will understand until they go to MacMira what Jess and Sweet Scott feel about MacMira, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. We can listen to the podcast, we can listen to to the interviews, mm. but there's there's this you know great big spot in Jess's heart for MacMira, right? There's distilleries that Joshua and Jason are fond of, and you know would have never think to bottled or would have never thought to was even an option, mm-hmm. but. You and that, that's, I guess that's how I feel about it. Nice. Okay. That's well said. So that's, that hits all Sebastian's, sea uh, uh, bass's it does. Uh, it does. criteria's niche. <laughs> and it's not 49 years old and one month old whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jess. Um, obviously, <clears throat> I would um, uh, not be handing the CEO title back. I would be reinstating <laughs> lots of things. Um, <laughs> I would be going to... Controversial, real fast. Controversial, real fast. Um, I would be, obviously, as a CEO of a very successful international independent bottling company, I'd be going to distilleries being like, what are you going to tout me with? You know, tell me what I should be bottling. I don't know, because my instant reaction is to be like, obviously, I would love to bottle something stupid like a Brora or uh, something that, you know, is really difficult and had an, an, an unobtainium bottling, mm-hmm. you know, that kind of uh, or a distillery that doesn't exist anymore uh, I like the idea of working with um, although this is maybe not this is going to get discounted as an answer the idea of working with um, like some of the smaller, newer distilleries that people haven't got to yet, mm-hmm. that you know it would be an opportunity for us to be like hey, have you heard of these guys? This mm-hmm. is why you should have heard of these guys. I like that. Um, yeah. But I think for now my answer is obviously going to be, and I keep telling people the reason I started working for Single Cast Nation was to get access to Westland. Yay! <laughs> there so we go. I guess, although I, no, I don't want that to come under the category of it's not going to sell very well, because it's going to sell great mainly to Sweet Scott, because he's going to buy all of it before it ever hits the shelf. <laughs> he, he has threatened to do that. Yeah. Yep. Today's I, today's number one question is what do you have that's like the Black Raven release in your record? Every day. That's today's number one question on our visit. Obviously, you would uh, create and uh, have Black Raven as a standard core product. <laughs> core. <laughs> and we'll call it Jess's whiskey. That's what we'll write on the label. And then in small writing, inspired by Black Raven's Wesson. I think that sounds great. <laughs> I'm all of a Raven. You have Sven on the label. Yeah, yeah. We'll put we'll put my own branding on it, and yeah. then like a little cask in the bottom. <laughs> Right. We'll have to call it like I don't know. We'll think of a different bird. I'm not fast enough with a different birdie bird to put on the label. It's not a black raven, so they don't know I've copied them. I think what's really interesting though is I think both of you have spoken to what I just put in response to Ollie there, which is Seabass says, "Look, take off all the parameters, take out all the security. Where do your dreams lie?" And you've both said something American single malt, yeah, something that we are living in right now. Mm. Right, and mm-hmm. it, and I feel like we've stopped, we've given up the crazy dreams about Scotch, and, you, and you're mentioning Barora there and, and Mortluck there, right? I, I think our dreams are really on pragmatic ground, which is what's exciting right now. 
and it's man they're it, seeing them all fell back and, and wesson for you too you've like you've sort of described the transition from from childhood to adulthood mm. we no longer have pie in the sky dreams <laughs> that kids were like no that's not realistic <laughs> let's let's be adults about this so what about what about you jason what's your what's your pie in the sky cask what would you sink the company for it's uh, bottle gosh my, mine's not really fiscally related but it's it would be going to Anthony Wills on bended knee and begging and begging and begging and begging and begging and I'm begging more for a Kilhoman I I would really give my eye teeth for another Kilhoman wow it would just mean the absolute world to get to do that again yeah and and we've said that to him we've explained that to him and he turns his back on us. Have we thought about taking more direct, you know, action? You know, instead of asking nicely, and, and you can do the begging, you know, like some sort of lock-in, like I'll chain myself to a warehouse. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I'm not leaving. Lock-in. I'm very confrontational. You, <laughs> ever... you can do the shouting up front, and I'll be more like at the back, being like stubbornly, just I'm not leaving. Could you, you, you can do the loud bit. I'll just be like, wait, when you finished with the shouty man, I'm still here. I could, I could be like, oh, I tied oh Jess gosh. to a cask. <laughs> you have no choice but to release this. A real railroad track. Yeah, see, this is the problem with your plan, to railroad tracks. You, you have to spend a few months growing a handlebar mustache. Yep. Yep. And then Something tie Jess to the cask. Yeah, yeah, it's. He's willing to commit. He's that kind of guy. <laughs> so there you go. So there's 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 my pie in the sky. There's my, you know, jejun childhood yeah. dreams. Joshua. Yeah, you know, my my pie in the sky dream was to bottle Imperial and, and we've done that. Like that really was uh, an absolute sense of accomplishment. Okay. And now you can die in your advanced um, years. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Glad we got that one under the wire before you died on us, Joshua. That's that's good. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I I honestly don't know if you you know what I would like to do? I I wouldn't want to replicate it, but I would really like back to your uh, example of of Kilhoman and, and seeing, you know, what Anthony Wills ever relent and, and say yes to another cask. <laughs> you know, that's your favorite Isla Distillery, and 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 I get that, and we're so proud to have had that mm-hmm. first cask. Mm-hmm. Back. To Ollie's thing about rabbit holes, you know, Lagavulin was my rabbit hole whiskey. I knew you were going to go back down the rabbit hole. Yeah, and uh, I told you I can't stop touching it. Yeah. And um, and so I think I'd love to be able to do a Lagavulin with the Lagavulin name on it, right? To have yeah. that. Yeah, that's good. That, that guy. same connection that we had, where we could say we bottled a Kilhoman, and they said, and it was a partnership. It was a collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to collaborate with Lagavulin. Lovely. Yeah. Hey, no argument for me there. That's, are we okay with that, Jess? Yeah, 100%. I, I could live Elijah, with that. you okay with that? Yeah. All right, go. so there was so. one other question from Seabass. So I, we did question number two. Question number one. And I'm going to throw this to you, Elijah, first. We'll, we'll go round robin as we did before. What whiskey do you pour when you're drinking with someone that you really trust, a.k.a.? What wacky whiskey do you love individually <laughs> that represents your palate, 
but isn't prone to general enjoyment <laughs> and should be consumed in a safe space. We all know the answer. <laughs> Most recently? No, no, no. Just in, like, what is that weird whiskey that you pour for your own comfort that you don't necessarily pour for other people except people who may get it or you, you trust that they'll, they won't think you're a weirdo? Makes me think of a group pour from Saturday night. Ooh. Hakata? Nope. Oh, I don't... I, I feel the pressure, to be honest. I don't know. Who would you trust to let them know how much of a pervert you are? Oh. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. yes. Any Anyothras. There you go. Ah. Anyothras. Do you have a go-to <laughs> if you're trying to bring somebody into the Athras cult? Is there one you've got on a shelf that you pour, or is it really just whatever IB? Whatever, usually got? it's whatever IB that okay. I have available. But I guess I like all the um, Diageo special releases. Okay. The, you know, there was like 20, 25, maybe there was a 30 year. You mentioned a manager's dram, a thrust. Ooh, yes. Yes, that is the best Othrusk I've ever had. Yeah, there ever. you go. Nine years old or something? Yeah, it was, it was a young Othrusk, fully matured in a sherry cask. Okay. Uh, and it was great. It was great. Manager's choice. Not farty, not sulfury. Diageo, release more manager choice Othrusk. <laughs> All right, Jess. I'm worried that you're expecting me to use this as an opportunity to confess to drinking Jura or something. Oh, I thought you were just going to come out with 1958 Mortlock. That's not a safe space whiskey. That's an everyday drinking dram. So sure. um, that's a really good question. I don't think I have any whiskey that I drink that I need to be hiding away drinking. Usually if I'm hiding away drinking it, it's because I don't want to share it. Mm. So maybe it is the Mortlock. Um... I quite like, um, there's a Finnish rye that we've talked about this weekend by um, a distillery called Kira. I really like them. I know that's not necessarily everybody's cup of tea, especially I think Americans who are used to a specific rye tasting in their head, like in a certain way. This is definitely not like that. It's 100% malted rye. Um, and it, to me, doesn't have the same burn that I get if I'm drinking an American rye. But I honestly can't think of anything that I think I need to be within friends. I think the practice of swapping samples with people is a safe space thing. Well, uh, there's not many places in the world. In fact, I had to tell someone um, that it doesn't happen all over Scotland that people walk around with these unmarked clear little bottles and they greet each other in the street and swap them. Mm. Somebody asked me if we drink whiskey everywhere in the streets and I had to explain that is more or less just Isla. <laughs> that's, that's not a normal thing especially if you go join the festival you'll yeah. meet someone who you've never met in your life and be like do you want to try this that, that's yeah. a safe space yep. thing right because there are definitely yeah I don't think I'd be walking around Glasgow walking up to people in the street and like hey what have you got do you want some of mine <laughs> get you in a lot of trouble really quickly <laughs> I'll show you mine if you show me yours <laughs> come up this whiskey alley <laughs> yeah it's totally safe don't worry about it don't worry about it Right. Yeah, so maybe the sample swapping with people that you don't necessarily know. And sometimes that works out really well. You get some really cool stuff. Other times you don't remember waking up. Uh, no, that's... <laughs> <laughs> All right, Mr. Mr. Johnston Yellen. Well, it used to be Lechig. 
Oh, isn't that interesting? Right? It was yeah. very easy to be made fun of for a Lechig love. It was almost like having a Jura love or a Fettercairn love. Mm, debatable. <laughs> I can't believe you're you're comparing Jura or Fettercairn love to well, back, anything. But back, back in the days, joking, right? Joking. And now, now Lechig yeah. is so popular among our niche of a niche of a niche. And pickled onions and funions as tasting notes are generally well accepted, it's kind of gone away. Uh, it's kind of weird to be in this popular Lechig space. Okay. I think what Jason's trying to say here is, I liked it before all of you liked it. Well, you know. <laughs> I didn't want to I say that I drank it before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, the, for me, the, the, there was a part of the question that I really liked where he said that that particular whiskey kind of describes your palate <laughs> and and the fact of the matter is I I drink based on mood I drink based on season so in the winter time I really like sherried whiskeys in the summertime I really like young Islas or you know something with a bright mm-hmm. peaty citrusy peaty kind of thing going on so, but if I were to to sort of sum it all up, I'd probably do some sort of an all rounder, like a like an Arden American, or like if I had an older bottling of Highland Park Twelve that kind of just ticks all the boxes. I kind of think that's good because I I like the idea of an all rounder. Like if I were to choose a comfort whiskey, it would be something that would have all of these components. A little peat, a little sweet, a little spicy, a little earthy mm. kind of thing. Yeah, you've, you've certainly dialed in on an aspect of that question. For me, it was this sense of trust. Who, who, what would you pour when you felt comfortable exposing yourself oh, go easy. To, to a fellow whiskey lover? Do you have to expose yourself before drinking the whiskey? Uh, whichever works for you and your <laughs> whiskey friends. I'm so glad you're sat behind me and I can't see. <laughs> I'll send you a picture. Um, okay, so next question here. This one's from Matthew Welge or, or Welge. I apologize if neither of those pronunciations <laughs> are right. And uh, I love the the subject to this email. It's just Susanna Skyver Barton. That's a good subject. It says, cheers, fellas, on another successful year. I thoroughly enjoy your pad cost, and I can honestly say your releases are bumped up to the front of my queue as soon as I see it. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. However, you raise... Oh, wait, I, no, 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 no. That's no place for however. <laughs> Just listen. Just <laughs> you, keep, keep you going. You have my full buy-in, Matthew. Listen, don't judge a book by its Okay, however, 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 Jason is my favorite. However, Jason, you've really... No. However... You've raised the bar even higher with your interview slash visit with Susanna. Mm. Listening to so many whiskey shows and geeking out like I do with so many aspects of the spirits industry, I'm rarely impressed (laughs) at the level she was able to accomplish with a fun, light, and entertaining attitude. Make her a regular gentleman. (laughs) Salute, Matthew Welge Welge. Welga. I think it's Welga. Welga? Like Welga. Helga? Like Helga. Yeah, or Haida. Man, the trouble with making Susanna a regular oh, is it really... He, 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 he says it in the bottom here. Oh. 
<laughs> Look at that. Joshua's skill in reading to the bottom of things. So pronounce Welgi. Welgi. G H E E. It's like ghee, like yeah. the clarified butter. Yep. Okay, so there you go. So that wasn't a question. That was just to say nice things about Susanna, which I always welcome. Absolutely. My response is, though, if we bring her on as a regular, she will really highlight our weaknesses. <laughs> and we will only look worse. Yeah, this is why we only have Jess on now and again, because... Because I make you look better. You... <laughs> wow. Could you stop the car I'm going now? No, they make us look bad. <laughs> the number of compliments we've had in the last few weeks about the quality of Jesse's interviews... Surprising. We, I, I honestly, I wasn't paying these people off. Thank you very much. Nice people with nice words to say. Um, so we guys, we mentioned his name just a little bit ago. Kevin Dunlop wrote in, and he says hello. It was funny when you mentioned his name because he was not the person who wrote in about the Lafroy Select. Was he not? No, but I thoroughly enjoyed you using uh, his name. Why didn't you stop me there? Like, you're like, you keep on digging, Helen. Oh, there are hundreds of things I could Shit. correct you on if I start that now. Kevin, who, wait, who was it that... Uh, I don't remember the name. Wow. All right, Kevin, I apologize. I, I also apologize to the actual person who, <laughs> who threw that question in. Anyway, hello, Jason and Joshua. Oh, let's uh, add Elijah and Jess. Yeah, let's add Elijah and Jess. We're on the PS at the bottom. I hope this new year finds you, all four of you, well. He says both, but here we go. Um, (laughs) My question this year is a two-parter about nosing whiskey. Firstly, how do you identify other scents when you get fixated on a certain note? Yep, great question. Jason, you mentioned this with orange gumdrops in a recent episode. Mm -hmm. With Highland scotches, I usually get pear sweeties. Oh yeah, like and, pear drops, I assume. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And once, and once that's in my brain, I can't get beyond it. Mm-hmm. Secondly, what's the most bizarre note you have identified when nosing a whiskey? Oh, so that's easy. So uh, let, let's go, Jason, Jess, Eliza, Elijah, Joshua. Let's do that. Seeing as he called you out. All right. Okay. So how do I get past it when I'm fixating on it? Yeah, and do do you fixate on it? I do fixate on it. There's no doubt about that. I I will then run through your second reference in today's episode. I will run through my Rolodex of tasting notes or tasting categories. So if I'm really fixating on one aspect, I will say, okay, is it nutty? Is it fruity? Right. Mm. You know, I've, I've had one recently where a number of whiskeys I've been sampling, I've got this kind of perfumey. Yes. You know, yep. a perfumey yep. note. We brought that up a few times. Right? Yep. And then I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, I'm, I'm thinking this all the time. I'm saying this all the time. And then I run through the, okay, is it nutty? Is it fruity? Uh, is it smoky, earthy? You know, I, I just start asking myself those other questions mm. and see if I can find it then. And and it, okay. it it helps. And so, and so when you run through that list, do you often find yourself being being pulled out of focusing on that, or do you find more often that perhaps that whiskey is maybe only doing one thing really well? Yeah, no. For the most part, it will put the fixation into the background, okay. so it's still framing what I'm doing. Yeah. But I'll then, you know. Hazelnuts, almonds, cashews, okay. Spanish roasted peanuts, 
right? Okay. I mean, yeah, it's a kind of a, it's a fun mental exercise. All right, I'm gonna hold. Let's hold perfect. off. Perfect. Yep. It's perfect. Hold I agree. off on the second question. I agree. We'll do that all afterwards. Jess, how do you do? You find yourself fixating on particular notes, and if you do, how do you get out of it? Yeah, but I think that's quite common. I definitely do as well. Um, and unlike Jason, I put the Rolodex away. I quite often use a flavor wheel. Yep. So if I'm judging whiskies, yeah. um, I like to keep to hand the Westland flavor wheel because I think it's got a really nice, uh, you start in the middle and kind of work your way out. Um, and even if I don't necessarily see um, words or flavors that are matching, because it's obviously a very um, American centric, so some of the flavors don't necessarily come quickly to my mind. Um, it can just help redirect you a little bit. And if you have something that's a bit generic, so if you're like thinking, oh, this is smoky, um, that flavor wheel in particular has a couple of different smoky options. So then you're like, is it a barbecue? Is it a burning wood? Is it, um, you know, that kind of, it helps you break it down and you can mm. spread out a little bit further and it can help redirect you a little bit. So like there that. are, of course, other flavor wheels available. Um, but I, I think that's really handy because I sometimes think, and it's something I get asked quite a lot, is how do you taste or smell all these things? And it's just practice. Um, so if you don't really know where to start, having something in front of you, the power of suggestion, I think, can help <laughs> redirect you a little yeah. bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, obviously, if I'm in a tasting and I tell everyone it smells like space hoppers <laughs> or, or foam bananas, or foam bananas, like I've set everyone <laughs> off. Uh, Josh is going to have to put a little picture of a foam banana in the show notes. Um, but the once you've kind of stuck with that, it can be quite hard. One, if I can't get away from that, but two, if somebody that I'm asking, you know, if we're in a tasting or I'm with somebody when I'm drinking a whiskey, uh, if they're not following what I'm following, that can be a little bit. Then you're basically just causing chaos with your tasting notes, aren't you? So, uh, which I'm a big fan of. Uh, you can, uh, <laughs> but it's whiskey so personal. I find it endlessly fascinating that you've got three ingredients and the mm. five of us in this car all taste different from the same glass, from the same bottle. That's there is no right and wrong answers. I mean, you, you don't need to be able to tick the boxes which said, you know, in this dram there was definitely. Uh, pears, you know, sweet barley, blah, blah, blah. If, if you know, I t if I find five things in the dram and Jason's only finding two, that doesn't mean it's wrong. It's, it's just your Different. palate works definitely yeah. to mine. Yeah. Yeah, beauty. All right, cheers. For me, when I get fixated on a tasting note, I usually resort to other people. Uh... <laughs> I watch a lot of YouTube, so I always, I really like whiskey YouTube reviews. I don't know if that's, you know, taboo nowadays, but I, <laughs> I, I like, I hope know, not. We just joined YouTube, so. Oh, yes. Please uh, subscribe to yeah, yeah, extra, extra. It's all about whiskey. <laughs> he set that up deliberately, so you can just put a little plug in there. Uh, yeah, I'm a big YouTuber, so, um, and uh, people around me. My wife was no whiskey experience. I always bring her into my whiskey office. It's called an office. And um, we'll ask her, you know, and tasting notes. But I, I'm not, I have to disclose, I, I'm not as uh, brilliant with tasting notes as, as, as the other four people in this car. Hearing Jason today talk about our Westland two-year-old from a few years back and describing it I, I was mesmerized. I. Thank you. Yeah. Thank I, you. 
You're like, how much bullshit can come from <laughs> one <laughs> person's mouth? Or one rabbit hole. <laughs> the answer is, how long is a piece of string? Um, <laughs> I, I definitely get fixated on notes. Um, and sometimes, to break myself out of that funk, sometimes I can't break myself yep. out of it. Yep. And so I'll just resort to... All right, am I enjoying this whiskey, yes or no? And if the answer is yes, I'll keep drinking it. And if the answer is no, I, I've been known to just sort of put a little cover on it, revisit it the next day, put it back into the bottle, whatever. You know, sometimes I just I have a tough time getting past my own brain. I have tasted with you on occasions when you've just said, nope. And like you've just simply picked the wrong whiskey for yourself. Yep. And you've popped your nose in it and you've said, nope. And then you've poured it back in the bottle immediately. (laughs) Immediately. It's been in the glass for 30 seconds. Yeah. Yeah. You've put it back in the bottle and back on the shelf. Yep. Like that's a peace out kind of moment. Yep. That's kind of what I do. Um, As a Scotsman, I prefer to sit and suffer. (laughs) <laughs> just to remind myself that I'm alive. Listen, my people have suffered right. for millennia. I just I can't take it anymore. Yep, 30 seconds. My people don't need to do this <laughs> any longer. Yeah, never again. Hashtag never again, Jason. That's what I say. Does that mean you're double dipping your whiskeys? Oh. Uh, it means other people have enjoyed my double dipping of whiskeys. Because I'm a sharer, Jess. All right. Um, so the second question is, and this is going to be, I. Th- this is how I want you three to answer this question what and I just with one or two words I don't necessarily even want a description what is the most bizarre note you've identified when nosing a whiskey so what was the whiskey what was the note Jason <laughs> take it in the opposite direction this time because I've got a number of answers <laughs> and I want to see if somebody replicates Elijah oh, or do I start with myself yes, yes. you start Oh, boy. He was planning on taking 10 minutes to think about his answer. And now we've forced him into the moment. There's there's an odd note that I get in in some, like, really dirty scotch whiskeys. And it's damp chicory. <laughs> I don't even know what that note. is. Chicory, it's, it's like a... It's, oh, chicory, sorry. Yeah, chicory, yeah. I cannot believe you didn't say Mark Boland's blue velvet suit. (laughs) (laughs) Which you put out on your blog for the entire world to read. Man, because I haven't thought about that whiskey in a long time. Which whiskey was that? Oh, man, you're going to make me do it. I'll tell you what, I'll search the world web while you guys answer the question. Have a a little thing, Chloe. We go back to the round robin here. All right, Elijah. This one makes me laugh to myself because I have a terrible sense of humor. But um, doing a tasting with Amrut one time, and Raj was on the tasting, and we're going through all these great Amruts. One of them was a little sulfury single cask of Amrut. And the tasting note that I wrote down, because we had little tasting mats, was when you eat sour cream, uh, or a sour cream dip, and then the gas that you have the next day. So the taste, the, the note is your gas? Yeah, like, it's like sour cream farts. 
Oh my god. But specifically sour cream farts because <laughs> those just are. I'm sure you guys have smelled them before. <laughs> and you were attaching somebody's distillery to this? Well, yeah. You can edit that out if you need to. <laughs> there was one single cast, sulfury single cast. Oh, okay. Gotcha, who, who, gotcha. Who, who hasn't? Oh, okay. It, it was with Southern California Whiskey Club, and, and we picked a fantastic port matured amber. So. Gotcha. Uh, really quickly for uh, for the listeners at home. For the completionists out for there. For the completionists out there. So the, the whiskey that I got, Mark Bolin's Powder Blue Velvet, suit was on Octomore 4.2 Comus. Oh, gosh. We were just talking about that this week. Yeah, we, we were. So let, let me read the notes really quickly. On the nose... Oh, yeah, here we go. On the nose, the canister and bottle say so. Brooklati's website and marketing materials echo it. Various web shops concur. The barley here uh, for Octomore was peated to 167 ppm. Blah, 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 Hold on. Here we go. Blah, 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 blah. This is how I listen to Joshua as well, so this is perfect. Here we go. So I go through the nose, and I talk about salted black licorice and cigarette smoke. and But on the mouth, he said, like drinking one of Mark Boland's powder blue velvet suits. The mouth is incredibly soft and silky, almost honey-like. So there you go. You said a moment ago that you... You haven't thought about that note in a long time or that whiskey in a long time. I think about that note at least once a week. Wow. Yep. It lives with me. Yep. The note, not the suit. That's, <laughs> that's awesome. All right, Jess. I did a whiskey course a long time ago, and we had one of the portions of the course was that you had to taste things blind and write notes and discuss where we thought it was from um, and what did you think it was, blah, blah. And... One of the tasting notes that we came up with uh, was badly run municipal swimming pools. Mm. Oh, 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 I love it. Mm-hmm. Which I think, like, still, I stand by that. Like, it does, it does. You know, like when you go to a swimming pool and it's kind of old and the tiles and the showers are rubbish and there's like chlorine and just, mm-hmm. just, yeah. you're not like, yeah. wow, this is a fragrant, delicious um, experience. Uh, and then when they revealed the bottle, it was Jura Superstition. Ah, nice. Uh, so off the top of my head, I think that's probably one of the weirder. And it was just so, like, bitter and chlorine-y. I actually think we were sort of convinced that maybe it was that there was a fault with the bottle because it was just so wrong. Have you ever had that with a whiskey where... It, oh, yeah. yeah like, yeah. I've had a couple of, like, Avalara uh, Bunners. Uh, one that was in the pub, and it was so solventy, and it honestly felt like somebody had filled half the bottle with super glue. Uh, so we got the barman to pull it and send it back to the distributor. But uh, yeah. yeah, the the rubbish swimming pools, that, that kind of sticks with me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jason. Now, Jason, so far, all of us have broken the rule. I said, what's the tasting note and what's the whiskey? And we all went into long descriptors. <laughs> yeah, we did a classic. Um, we wrote a recipe by telling <laughs> yeah, you our yeah, life story. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, Jason, without um, building a recipe, a recipe blog... So Give it, it to us. So if you recall, Good Scotch Drink used to have a section called Say What? Yes, 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 yes. That was an esoteric tasting note. That it was. With a description of said tasting note 
and a listing of sometimes one, two, or three whiskeys. And for the listeners, Good Scotch Drink was Jason's old whiskey blog. It's no longer around, but that was the name of it. I guess what's coming back, Joshua? <gasps> Good Scotch Drink? Yep. Oh, my God. I got it. <laughs> I, I guessed it. <laughs> I bought the URL. It came down from $180,000 after I lost it. <laughs> um, so the the OG on the in this category, baby vomit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like. Oh yeah. And now, you know, again, a bit like the Lechig. Um, now everybody talks about baby vomit, and kind of understands it's the the sweet, kind of cute, spit up by mm. a baby, and, and yeah. not not a drunk man's Glasgow gagging in that whiskey alley uh, after running into our own Ms. Lomas. Wow. <laughs> You're welcome. So, so baby vomit, obviously, Brooklady's and, uh, and often Port Charlotte's. And, and just to clarify, like you had said, it's not necessarily a bad thing. No, it's, it's, no. it's, it's, not, part, even, it's yeah. not even bile. Some people take it to mean bile. Yeah, it's, it's not. It's that kind milk. of... Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Are you hearing this, Elijah? These two are defending vomit's not that bad. We're all the way back down the track of fecundity hey. in a good way. <laughs> For earlier listeners of the podcast, yeah. thanks for nodding along. And for the rest of you, I can't remember what episode it was. You're going to yeah. have to go all the way back. Uh, a great one that came from Whiskey for Everyone way back in the day was Screeching Tires. And they had that on Octomore. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Yep. Uh, we had Church Pews. That was a good one. All right. All right. We, I'm, I'm going to move on because we have more questions here. Dusty we have more questions than we do have time. That's very true. Right. So this one is is from Dr. Matt Bishop. Mm-hmm. Legend. Legend. And, uh, and he says, Hi, all. Please find attached <laughs> this year's mailbag question. Best wishes and thanks, as always, for my weekly entertainment, Dr. Matt. I'm looking at a full PDF here. Is that yeah, thesis? and it's 397 pages. <laughs> oh, my gosh. This is a magnificent... Does he know that I have old man eyes and I've got a... All right, we're reading this from my phone. And, and by the way, listeners, in case you couldn't tell, we're doing this episode from inside the car. Elijah's driving. Anyway. Uh, safely de- and responsibly. Very safely. Yep, you are definitely driving. Dear team... You're driving safely. <laughs> Dear Team SCN, in my 2022 mailbag episode letter, um, it was heavy on the literary side with discussion of George Orwell's Animal Farm and the Drunk Pigs. This year, I have softened the tone to allow for the listeners' literary capabilities. He fucking puts in parentheses Joshua. <laughs> All right, let's let's just be clear here. But is he wrong? <laughs> Jessica. <laughs> Jessica <laughs> Grace. Oh, what a highlight. <laughs> and we'll look to offer my thoughts Sunday. on a more simplistic matter. <laughs> Jesus, this is getting worse. You are officially on my shit list. Be glad I'm not Santa Claus. I hope you Dr. feel Matt. seen this day because yeah. this guy gets it. <laughs> so his thoughts are on a more oh, simplistic matter. Oh, the matter. wind has really gone out of Joshua's sails here. He is deflated. He's like, are we nearly home yet? <laughs> and the simplistic matter <laughs> that's been occupying my mind since meeting Jess at Glasgow's Whiskey Festival last November. Do you remember uh, that, Jess? 
Yeah, of course I do. Of course she does. And and there's there's some quotes along the way. I'm going to uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll read them afterwards. I th- I think. On the table in front of Jess and her festival crew were a range of offerings from Single Cast Nation, looking splendid and carefully arranged together with assorted festival freebies. Good man, good man. Due to my need for reading glasses, I couldn't see what they were, mm-hmm. so when Jess asked what I would like, accidental Dalyuang was my pick, if slightly desperate response. <laughs> From under the table, the bottle appeared, and I was soon drowning in the glory of its majesty. Wow. But wait, <laughs> says Dr. Matt Bishop. I got a wow from Elijah. <laughs> uh, but wait, this whiskey is just nine years old. And my guess as to what was on the festival table probably included the Kleinlich 9, the Glenelgan 10, and listening to other festival goers, all I could hear was, have you tried the new X distillery? Their latest batch Y um, is still a non-age statement, but isn't it great? Or quote, distillery Z has just released a five-year-old experimental cask and everyone's drinking it. I feel a change is on the way. I won't say I can feel it in my bones, because all I can feel in my bones is minor arthritic damage and tendinitis. <laughs> but there, there is a definite change. It would appear that old age whiskey is no longer respected and the bright young things are taking control. Hmm. Oh, this is so good. I have to read this quote. It's uh, from in, uh, Indiana Jones and he says, don't call me junior. That's so perfect. Um, you know Dr. Matt's pandering when there's an Indiana Jones quote. Yes, yeah. I think he's trying to make up for calling me a simpleton. <laughs> Dr. Matt Bishop. All right, so to my question. Could Team SCN enlighten me as to whether new has replaced old as the new new and the old is now the new old or whether this is just the eternal battle with the next generation showing off its fancy new ways to the old whiskey world. I'm looking forward to the new YouTube thing, although I'm having trouble finding the right channel on my television box. <laughs> May have to ask my son for help, damn. And then, then just finally, uh, his quotes were uh, just after, you know, what whiskeys to choose on table. The quote was, choose wild, wisely. For while the true grail will bring you life, the false grail will take it from you. Wow. And that's the grail knight from uh, Last Crusade. Indeed. And then the other one, talking about the uh, drowning in the glory of the majesty, he says, it's not the years, honey, it's the mileage. And again, another Indiana Jones quote wow. throughout all. So, Fantastic. Has, has have new younger whiskeys replaced old as the new new? Or... And the old is now the new old? What, what, what do you think's going on here? Elijah. I don't think it's necessarily replaced it. I just think it's, uh, there's no longer a stigma with young whiskey. Mm. I think it's become accepted. Mm-hmm. You know, is older stock more hard to come by? Yes, depending know if if you're a distillery um, that's 
got plenty of old stock. I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, you can always keep consistent releases, but independent bottling scene, it's, you're seeing less and less of that, but also distilleries that are, you know, producing no age statement. This has been, this discussion has been going on for a while, but now I really think this, the, especially like in the last like three, four years, fairly priced, no age statement or, you know, low age statement bottlings are acceptable. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yep. Do you think that's out of choice? Like the older age statements are getting progressively much more expensive at a, an exponential rate, I'd say. So people are seeking out other whiskeys. I think people's price ranges don't change too much. So if you're treating yourself and your budget is a hundred pounds, maybe a hundred pounds five years ago was getting you whiskey in its twenties, but now you're still spending a hundred pounds. That doesn't go half as far. Yep. So now your hundred pounds is buying you, I don't know, 18 year olds mm. of that distillery or um, some non-age statement or like a more experimental bottling. I don't know. I'm I'm a real cynic because I'm an old better person, which you're not going to turn into. But I, I'm not <laughs> convinced that people are opting to drink. Or certainly within the UK, I don't think people are necessarily opting to drink younger and even single-digit aged whiskey because they've had an epiphany, which is that young whiskey can be really tasty and really good. Because people are so ingrained in this idea of older equals better. Yeah. So I don't think anybody woke up in the last five years and was like, oh, do you know what? Nine-year-old Dalyoen is the thing I'm going to go to the store today and pick up. I think it, if it is, it's because they have been exposed to that whiskey. I still think most people, if you put in front of them a nine-year-old Dalyoen and a 35-year-old Dalyoen, I think a lot of people would reach for the older one first. I, I think you're right. However, like without a doubt, I think you're right. There's you know? a lot of asterisks there and a lot of <laughs> if, if, buts and qualifications uh-huh. to be made. But, it, but if we're talking about the average person who walks into a shop who's not a whiskey nerd, who's not, like Dr. Matt, interested in trying a secret Dalyu and I was hiding under the table away from the prying public of Glasgow Whiskey Festival, uh, I, I think you're still going to be looking for the oldest, the darkest, yeah. or whatever fits your price range, rather than being like, oh, this five-year-old Adam Eckman sounds like a great deal. But I think there's a logistical component to this that that almost forces brands, distilleries, whatever, to create non-age statement whiskeys, you know, in, in a smart way, in a delicious way, and also have them starting to embrace the mention of a younger age statement. And those logistical reasons are, you know, the past... 10 to 15 years, whiskey has grown in popularity to levels that we've, globally, that we've simply have never seen. And new new markets have opened that hadn't been opened previously. And whiskey is a finite product. There's only so much of it. And so, of course, older whiskey is going to get more expensive. And so if you have that 100 pound or $125 cap, what you're able to purchase is going to be limited based on your budget and because so much whiskey is being spread out and and distilleries brands etc have to release younger whiskeys if you're interested in trying whiskeys that's what your budget calls for and that's what you start 
that's your own rabbit hole that you start going down, and you'll start finding that you like these younger whiskeys. Rabbit hole really has been the word of today's podcast. Yeah. This well, is, yeah. Have we used the word rabbit hole in any of our seasons? I feel like today it's all of your life. Out. I like what. Dr. Matt Bishop is suggesting here that, that I'm a simpleton? That, well, let's be honest. Yeah, we'll go easy. That was amazing. Um, no, this idea that the new generation, the young kids on the scene are saying, hey, our our parents, our aunts and uncles were the ones hoarding the old whiskeys. Well, I tell you what, we like the young ones. Right? We like the five-year-old Ardbegs. We like yeah. the eight-year-old Lagavulins. Like, I, I like the idea of it being kind of a rebellious move here. That is, that's real nice. And I hope that that is the truth of the matter. Uh, hold on one second. I think, I think Chris has something he wants to say here. Yeah, I think you missed one thing, is that the cask management programs of all the distilleries are much better than it probably used to be. So you can release a younger whiskey as well, if you take it from that perspective. So that becomes your Arden Americans, your Kilhomans, that we're all very excited of. And it's because the liquid is ready at that time. And as we have speaking about this whole week in over Lagavulin, which you guys have <laughs> been wrong and I've been right. How dare you. Uh, that, uh, that is why it was 16 that you used to release rather than eight. Yeah, so I, I like that point because, and, and I think it goes beyond cask management. You know, if we if we take two examples, we'll go to Jess's, Jess's example of Mortlach, where they create a spirit that makes that whiskey better as it gets older, right? And you compare that to the spirit of Kilhoman or Ardna Merkin or Nick Nian or MH or, you know, the, the list. We could just keep unrattling uh, an incomplete Joshua list here. But they're focusing on a spirit that can be matured to a. that can be matured. Oh, fuck. They're releasing a spirit that doesn't need that extra maturation, that's meant to get to four, five, six years yeah. old yep. and be delicious Very much so. at that age. So, like, yes, cask management is super important and that has changed the industry writ large. But I think it goes back to um, the producer's choice all the way back to the mashing on, on the type of spirit that they want to release. Yeah, right. I like that. Okay. So, thank I'm you. I'm still reeling from that assault oh, on Lagavulin like 8 from Sweet oh, Scott I there. You were, I thought you were talking He's about the assault wrong, on me. Oh, that one, was, that one was accurate. All right. So, this next one is from Tom Jodelka. And he says, Dear JJ and J, I'll leave you all up to sort out the order. And E. I hope this message finds you all doing well. Congratulations on completing Season 6 of One Nation Under Whiskey. Thank you. I was, you're all, oh, him. Yes. Yeah, him. Yeah, thank you, Tom. Um, <laughs> I was hoping you could answer some of the follow-up questions for me that stem from your on-air responses. Oh, boy. As my questions regarding the nine-year-old Dal Ewain. Hey! <laughs> <laughs> recurring theme. Uh, aged in both First Fill Bourbon and First Fill Sherry a few months ago. In 
his response to my questions regarding how you monitor casks, Jason mentioned that purchasing casks sight unseen has become a larger part of your business due to necessity. And this left me wondering two things. One, what aspect of your business necessitate, sorry, what aspects of your business necessitate purchasing more cast sight unseen? What has changed in recent history that requires you to do this more often nowadays? Yep. And two, what criteria must a cask meet before you would consider purchasing it sight unseen? And then he closes it out. He says, thank you for graciously answering my cacophony of previous questions. And thank you in advance for considering this last round. All the best to you in season <laughs> seven. Cheers, Tom Jadelka. And P.S., I enjoyed Elijah leading you all through a mezcal tasting many episodes ago. Any chance of releasing an SCN mezcal anytime soon? So, Jason, I'm going to let you answer this question, or you can hand it off to Jess if you'd like. Yeah, go for it, Jess. I was like you in your perspective. Oh, no. Um, so, the murky world of cask buying. <laughs> this is starting well. Buckle up, listeners. Very much like going on an epic, um, you know, those reader 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 chooses adventures. Where, uh -huh. you know, like, <laughs> choose you your, own adventure, yeah, choose your own adventure. Choose your own adventure. Yeah. Turn to page nine. Um, so the reason that we are increasingly, and not just us, the necessity of purchasing casks sight unseen is that the speed at which casks are being bought and sold, I think, is much faster than it was in the olden days. So the mm. the idea of requesting a sample, somebody going to a warehouse finding the cask, taking the labels, putting it on the bottle, going back to the office, posting it, waiting for Royal Mail to not be on strike, posting <laughs> it to me. And then, and then we make ourselves even more complicated by then dividing samples and sending them to America. Yep. That takes time. Um, whereas, you know, there's there's a greater demand for, of people for a whole host of reasons um, who are looking to purchase casks. So, you know, you can put it out and five people can be like, yeah, we'd like samples. Or there'll be one guy who'll be like, I'll just take it. Yeah. Uh, and yep. I think there's a growing trend more towards that. So this is something I've been talking about recently with other people about working with trusted partners. Yeah. Which definitely sounds like that should have a trademark after it. Trusted partners. Um, it means that if you're working with somebody who you've perhaps purchased from in the previous, you know, times, and you trust that they're not selling you casks of moldy water or empty casks you may feel uh, more um, inclined to go with this sight unseen I would like to probably put a little kind of caveat in here that we're not bottling anything no. well said yeah, thank everything you. is yep. tasted um, and for as long as we are able to hang on to this you know like with our, <laughs> with our claws to not purchasing before we've sampled um, I've been saying it for a while so far we've done a pretty good job the very vast majority of the casks we're trying before we um, even purchase that practice is getting harder but certainly that's not going to mean that if you're buying a single cask nation it's something that we bought put out into a bottle the next day and yeah. released it um, to the world at large um, it's not just affecting us it's also because you know um, people are buying in different volumes it's very difficult if you wanted to purchase a large parcel of casks it's pretty unlikely that you're going to get a sample of every cask. You're going to end up with yeah. a representative sample of those 10 casks or 50 or whatever the number is casks you've purchased. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what it is. It's just the change in the industry. I think it's not 
Uh, we met somebody and they bring a load of clanking little jars along with them and we swap them in a car park and go our separate ways. You're back to Whiskey Alley again. Well, there's the, there's the other aspect of it too, you know, as, as a young business, you know, we did have those trusted partners, TM. Spirit of collaboration. Spirit of collaboration. Yeah. And, and we also had a smaller number of casks that we were bottling, but as a company looking to grow and continue to grow, we knew that we'd have to get into the situation where we would be buying sight unseen, getting getting new relationships for casks, and that it would necessitate a, a finishing program, that yeah. there's a good chance we're going to buy a bunch of casks, not having tasted them, realizing that either A, they need a bit more time in cask, or B, they're going to need a little bit of work to... Um, you know, to get them to something that we're proud of. Yep. So that's, was, that's a good point I hadn't thought about. Yeah. Um, when we're purchasing casks, we're not necessarily purchasing casks that are ready to go. And increasingly, now that we have got the ability to do so, we can purchase casks that are definitely not ready to go. You know, we can buy casks and you make, put them away or decide to put them into something that, you know, they didn't arrive in. Um, and so therefore, if you're buying new make, well, you don't really, if you know the distillery mark, you don't necessarily really need a, a sample of that. So if you're buying new make casks, I'd say buying them un, sight unseen is lower risk because we're going to put it away for ages. Yeah. If we buy it and it tastes fresh and like it came off the stills yesterday, well, that doesn't matter because in our heads, we're not planning on bottling it for a good stretch. So that that's not so important. I think, you know, if you're planning on bottling and putting it out immediately, you probably want to have a pretty up-to-date um, picture of what that cask is doing and what the liquid is tasting like. Whereas if it's going to sit in a warehouse for a few years or we're going to re-rack it, mm. that's not so urgent. I think we've cracked the code on finishing, though. The, <laughs> the response on the accidental yeah. Dal Ewan has, I think, proven conclusively that we should buy first-fill bourbon casks and finish them in first-fill sherry. <laughs> I, I, I think that's a home run every time. But we could call that the double firsting line. The double first? Yeah, you heard me. <laughs> Whatever you made that into is your dirty conscience. Well, the I, double I, first I, range? I certainly didn't get a double first at Aberdeen University, so it might be the first double first in my life. Oh. <laughs> or my second. You and me both. That you and. So I, I kind of feel as if our answers made it so we didn't need to answer that second question, like... You know, what's the criteria of buying cast sight unseen? I, I was thinking about that as we were talking, though. I, I would add to it when we are looking over a spreadsheet, we are looking for interesting distillery, maybe an interesting cask, yeah. maybe something that's already been moved into a finishing cask by a, a broker somewhere. And then, of course, we're looking at price and we're crunching you know, which market is this going into? Mm. Uh, is this going to come over to the US? Is that, you know, where's this going to live and, and how do we price it? So there are definitely criteria that we're running through, even as we're going over a list. I did like what you added on, Jess, to Joshua's comment about when it comes to new make, you pretty much know what the new make is like coming out from a distillery. And then it's just processing an order and deciding what cask we think that spirit might do well in. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, we're, we're getting close to the end here. There's actually more questions that came in than we actually have time for on this episode because we're getting close to Elijah's... Amazing questions, though. Yeah, really great. Absolutely fantastic. I wanted to close out Almost this... as good as the answers. <laughs> some of them. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> there was a close run thing in some cases. I wanted to close out this series of questions um, with one from Michael Nolan. I've heard of him. And uh, he says, SCN team. He gets us. That's he very does it too. Yeah, he even says, he says, this eliminates the worry of who, whose name is first, <laughs> middle, and last. Smart. Um, too diplomatic. Hope this email finds you well in the wilds of Seattle. As we speak, we are sending greetings from sunny, warm Florida. It's been freezing and raining here in Seattle. Quite a, <laughs> quite a different thing. I think the weather is beautiful here. Yeah, it hasn't been freezing. Calm down, calm down. Um, very Scottish. I, I feel very old. Our question is, now, and by our, this is, of course, Michael and Bonnie. Mm-hmm. Uh, now that there is a team of four, how does the cask selection work? Does J&J pick the cask for North America retail and online? And just pick <laughs> I know where the he's cast taking this. For oh, ROW. I, I know what question exactly two is. Exactly what he's asking. And Elijah for cask pick programs. Um, or is this a team effort with cast samples going all over the world for final picks? How does staff meetings happen <laughs> for SCN typically? Like, is it UK 4 p.m., uh, you know, 4 p.m. EST, 11 p.m. PST, et cetera, et cetera? I think the answer to all of this is yes. Next question. <laughs> What is he? Uh, I feel like this is a little probing. Like, there's a little, there's a little too much insight into how we uh, do our mysterious business. I think he wants to catch us at our next coffee break. I very much enjoy that he thinks I start meetings at 4 p.m. my time. <laughs> and it continues. He says, "Of course, we are all eager to know when the next Glenburgie is going to be selected." <laughs> That's not what I thought. Is that where you thought he was going to go? Yes, Glenburgie Tourette's. <laughs> Also, please have Jess tell us more about the Lechig. There's where he is going. That's exactly where this has been going from the first word. And she's been telling us was her whiskey of, of 2022. I think I find that's not quite true. How many people have had follow-ups to you naming that your SCN of 2022? Remind her to give us an early heads up so that we can secure a couple of bottles for ourselves here in the U.S. And finally... Happy birthday. Happy 30th yeah. birthday to Elijah. Thank you all for all you do. Your friends, Michael and Bonnie. Beautiful. Oh, beautiful. They're like menches. Lovely, 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 lovely. lovely. So, yeah, that's... <laughs> I think we should start off by saying he's asked for a date for the diary because I flippantly in one podcast made a joke about a made-up date when I said the next ROW release would drop. And on that very day that I had made up, I got a text message from the good Mr. Nolan saying, so remind me which shops I should go and buy the release in. <laughs> and I had made the he whole thing He listens carefully. So I will not be tied to dates. You can't fool me twice. Uh- <laughs> so let, let me let me jump in here with the, the idea of selecting casks. Um, yeah. I mean, traditionally it was just me and Jason. And until we brought you both on, Jess and Elijah, and you both have have contributed in a really great way to the casts that are 
being bottled. Absolutely. Um, one of the things, and, and so, I, so I would say it's not as simple as it is a group effort, but there are many elements to it being a group effort. Um, but one of the things that I found interesting in the, in the process of bringing you in, Jess, as someone to look after the UK and European markets was that when, when we are selecting casks for those markets, ABV really comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Like here in the US, geez, if we bottled something that's 70% alcohol, people would go nuts for it. But in the UK, that's, that's some absolute scary stuff. And so I guess I'm going to take Nolan's question a little, a little bit and twist it. Do you think that the, the U.S. and U.K. European markets, from, just simply from a palate standpoint, are, are quite different? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think what the markets are looking for are you know, high quality and they're coming to single cast nations, so they're looking for single casks. Um, but I think within those parameters, there's a, a there's a whole world of different whiskies you can put in that. And I definitely think what's released um, for the ROW for my rest of the world markets is we're looking certainly at different palettes. I think you know there's a number of things that are sought after by whiskey drinkers that don't necessarily come top of the list in the US. Um, I'm very disappointed in you that you are actually giving this as a straight answer and not saying it's a four-way arm wrestle <laughs> across the Zoom. We just, it's just a big game of Twister yeah. is what it is. Um, I th- I th- but being serious, though, I think when we're looking at it, yeah, you obviously need to consider the market. There's there's no point putting a product out to a market that's, that is doing us a disservice if it's something that will do better in the U.S. than it will do in, you know, somewhere else, you know, Sweden or Germany or Japan. There's no point sending that product away to America if we think it can be better serviced for nation drinkers somewhere else. Yeah, yeah, it's I think that is likely um, a bigger demarcation as far as where casts go is that, um, you know, the, the UK EU palette versus the US palette. So that's that's one set of potential places where whiskey go the other set of potential places is u.s retail versus u.s online Mm -hmm. and that's a question that we get asked all the time like why do you select this for retail and that for online and and i mean typically speaking our online tends to be where our distillery direct partnerships go or sort of spirit of collaboration or where there's just a big confusing story that can't, <laughs> that can't be told on a retail shelf. Or you an know. accidental finishing. Or an accidental finishing, right? Delicious like the accident. Catoctin Creek in the Kilhoman Which was PX purposeful. Cast, right? Yeah, that was an accident. Which was purposeful. Which was purpose, but that was but that's my point, right? And that is just simply just a bigger story to tell and putting that on retail shelves, I just feel you know, we feel that it's it may be easier for us to control that narrative and and bring people along on that that journey because it really was a journey that we took people down, keeping them updated on where that whiskey was and so on. Yeah, since we're really only in the business of teasing Michael Nolan, I will say that Elijah has recently made his first solo pick that has been brought to oh, us yeah. for uh, for approval, and uh, that's all I'm going to say about that right now. 
No dates when it's going to be released? No. No. Or, or what it is? No. 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 You, you guys are so mean. No. Like you're as bad as I am. Yes. Okay, that's reassuring. So That's why the team works. <laughs> so listen, it has been 12 years of this company, six years of this podcast, a handful of years having both both you, Elijah, and Jess in the company. And each year, I, I just think, has been incredible. Jason, thank you from the bottom of my heart, from the beginning of all this. To you, Elijah, and Jess, thank you both. Like, you really are helping us to grow in ways that we didn't, that really could not be possible without you two. And, um, and to the listener, like, mm-hmm. I say this all the time in tastings because people say, oh my gosh, I'm so used to just hearing your voice on my radio and and so on. Like, That's how I from- felt this whole car ride. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. uh, but but re- right, this really is for me the most enjoyable part of, of what we do. And it's just sitting and having these these conversations and and being grateful to the people who actually listen. It's extending that whiskey community. Oh, the car is offering to get us out of here. So ideal. So I say thanks to you all. Thanks to the listeners. Thanks to you, Joshi. And I'd like to say this to Elijah. I'd actually like us all to say this to Elijah. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Elijah. Happy birthday to you. And many more.